There's a lot of history in that long passage that we just read. But God hasn't preserved His Word for us, His people, so that we can merely learn history. No, He's given us His Word that we might be constantly confronted with who our God is and what He asks of us. So as we finish the book of Joshua this morning, as we finish Joshua's lessons and reminders over the past nine weeks or so, I want to do so with two all-encompassing realities. And the first one is this, past, present, and future, it is all by grace. It's the first thing I want to remind you of. Past, present, and future, it is all by His grace. I'm only 43, but I am constantly being reminded these days of my age. From everyone commenting on the amount of gray in my beard to the lack of hair on my head, Or just this past week when I was asked by the guy at the sub shop with Austin Clement standing next to me if he was my son. Yeah, I won't be going back to that sub shop. (laughs) I'm being reminded that I am getting old. And one of the things that happens to me um, is that I remember things differently than they really were. And it's great to have kids with sharp minds and sharp memories to to keep you in check. My kids are so helpful, helpful in this regard. When I remember being a good dad, but apparently I wasn't such a good dad in that situation as the five of them overpower me with witnessing. Has that ever happened to you? Your actions in your memory are different than they actually were. You see, as the dust has now settled a bit in the land of promise, remember Joshua is speaking these words to God's people, not days, not weeks, but but years later, years after the events that we have talked about over the past weeks. One wonders if Israel is already struggling to remember. And when they do remember, there's a little more, there's a little more us. There's a little more Joshua. And there's a little less Yahweh. Well, the text doesn't say specifically that that is what is going on here, that that is what has precipitated these speeches, these sermons from Joshua, but I don't think it's too far-fetched knowing the history of Israel, knowing the bent of the human heart and its natural trajectory. Their thinking is already there, or it is right around the corner. Spiritual amnesia. And so the Lord, through Joshua, summons all of His people Fittingly so at Shechem, 
the place where century early, centuries earlier, God had promised this land to a man named Abraham. And they gather, you see in your Bibles there, if you follow it along in your copy of God's Word, it says the covenant renewal at Shechem. They gathered there to renew the covenant, to renew their relationship with the Lord their God. And so Joshua is almost acting like a, like a lawyer in this case. He is making God's case. He is laying out the evidence before the people. And not just that, but what he's doing here is very much in line with, with the, the form of ancient treaties of that day. Treaties that would begin with, with a preamble, with a, with a history of the relationship between these two parties before it went to the specifics of how these parties are going to interact with one another. And in Joshua's sermon, the history of the nation of Israel is all about Yahweh. Do you notice the pronouns? Or did you notice the pronouns as it was being read? After thus says the Lord, I want you to feel this because in, in Hebrew, 20 times the pronoun for I is used in verses 2 through 13. Verse 3, I took Abraham, led him, gave him Isaac. Verse 4, I gave Jacob and Esau. Verse 5, I sent Moses, I plagued Egypt. Verse 6, I brought you out. Verse 7, you saw what I did in Egypt. Verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites. I destroyed them. Verse 10, I delivered you. Verse 11, I gave them into your hands. And it all culminates in verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, cities which you had not built, and you dwell in them. And you eat fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Could it be any clearer? This is a past defined by grace. All grace. Yahweh has done it. Almost every verse contains I, as the Lord reminds them. And I think it's notable that one of the verses that doesn't is verse 7, which ends, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Quite an understatement from the Lord. But they were the reason why they lived in the wilderness. And so I want to unpack this just a bit, just to get a better picture, to help us remember. It's what we do in worship. It's what we're doing this morning. This is, this is our covenant renewal ceremony. In the new covenant, this is what happens. We gather every week to remember to remind one another, to remind ourselves. So let's unpack this history first with the promise. I'm going to give you a couple, three Ps or four Ps to help you remember this past defined by grace. The first is the promise, verses two through four. The history of God's people begins with a man when a promise was given. And those of you who know your Old Testament, you know your Bible, you know that man was a man named Abraham. 
But the Lord reminds his people, let's not remember Abraham incorrectly. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, the Lord says, as idolaters. As idolaters. Yes, Abraham obeyed Yahweh. The Lord blessed him, but it wasn't his goodness. It wasn't his intelligence that began his story of blessing. It was undeserved grace. Abram should have died in Ur, childless and alone. And instead, by God's grace, he became the father of many nations and a blessing to the nations, all because of Yahweh's affection for him. So the Lord says, yes, remember Abraham. But remember that there is no Abraham without Yahweh. It's no different for us, is it? Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your sin, following the course of the world, but God made you alive. 1 Corinthians 1, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, chose what is weak to shame the strong. It's a promise of grace. Isaac Watts, we didn't sing the hymn this morning, but it's one of my favorite lines and and stanzas in our hymnody. It's from the hymn, How Sweet and Awful is the Place. And he says, while all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? Why, Why was I made to hear Thy voice and enter while there's room when when thousands make a wretched choice and would rather starve than come. Twas the same love that spread the feast and sweetly drew us in. Else we had refused to taste and perished in our sin. It's a promise of grace. Secondly, power and protection, verses 5 through 7. See, after Yahweh has established the choice of Abraham and his descendants, he's rescued them from the land of Egypt. Joshua skips over a lot of redemptive history, a lot of Old Testament history, but he brings them to the point of their backs literally being up against the Red Sea, and they, they are helpless before the Lord. See, the Lord has backed them up with nowhere to go that they might be reminded that they desperately need Him still. It's His power and His protection that has brought them to this point and will continue to carry them through. And I think it's interesting that here as He's skipping over a lot of Old Testament history that He brings up the story, the vivid story of Balaam. Balaam and his donkey. It's almost as if to say nothing illustrates in your minds, and and boy, is this a vivid story, particularly for our kids. 
particularly for those kids of Israel that are gathered with their moms and dads among the tribes, listening to Joshua speak to them. And he brings up Balaam. If you don't know about Balaam, you need to read Numbers 22 through 24 this afternoon. It's one of the most striking stories in the Old Testament. Balak, Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam to cast a curse on the people of God. Balaam was essentially a prophet for hire. And as he went on his way, Yahweh, by means of an angel, stood in his way to block him from going to God's people to curse them. And he couldn't see the angel of the Lord, but his donkey saw the angel of the Lord. And so by various method, by running off into the field and off the path, by, by laying down and being stubborn and refusing to move, Balaam's donkey is communicating to his owner that death awaits you if you continue down that path. And as Balaam is beating his donkey, what does the Lord do? The donkey talks. He speaks. And as the donkey is given speech, of course Balaam's eyes are opened. And he sees he was in danger and his mouth is tied. His mouth can speak nothing but blessing to Israel. And Yahweh, through Joshua here in Joshua 24, brings up this little vivid story, maybe just for the kids. Remember that amazing story when an animal talked? For real. You never know who God is going to use to protect and to watch over His people. And so Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It's a promise of grace. It's power and protection. And then finally, provision. Verse 13. Fast forwarding to this present generation that's standing there. These people that are looking and they're, they're listening and they're looking all around them. And what do they see? They see mature fruit trees that they didn't plant. They see buildings and structures that they didn't build. And God reminds them, yes, I did all this. While the road has been windy, while the pace at times has been slow, I have been faithful. I have been faithful. Past, present, and future, it is all grace the Lord wants to remind His people. And as these, these promises, as these realities, as these lessons come to us today, they begin with Jesus. The pinnacle of the promise, the power, the protection, the provision that we enjoy You see, in the new and in the better covenant that we have already spoken of this morning, that Jesus himself has brought the curses that we hear here, the strong words, the fearful words from Yahweh, this blessing and curse principle that was so dominant in the Old Testament has been fulfilled, and the curses have been removed. 
Because Jesus has taken those curses upon himself. And so Christ was cast out that we might never have to have the fear of being cast out. If we are hidden in him, Christ was obedient to to cover our disobedience. Christ never wavered for those who are prone to wander. And so brothers and sisters, we all can, from that point, we can trace our own personal stories of how the promise of God, the promise of grace came to us. For me, and we're about to see it, for me it came through the covenant. It came through Bert and Jane, and before them through Mildred and Addison and Irwin and Elsie. For many of you, it came later in life through extraordinary means. However we have received it, however we have experienced it, we need to recognize and remember and give thanks to the one who has brought us here this morning. And if you're here this morning, you don't have this rich history of grace. And you wonder how this grace might apply to you because you're sitting here and you're not a Christian. This grace is for you today, now. God has brought you here by that grace that you might grab a hold and cling to this life that he offers. That's where Joshua takes Israel and that's where I I think our hearts have to go this morning. This covenant renewal ceremony is our opportunity to hear again what God has done. But it's not just that. It's an opportunity for us to reflect, as Joshua called the people of Israel to reflect, on how now they should live. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Let me give you another quote from a commentator I read this week. It was striking to me. Do you begin, having heard what you just heard, do you begin to feel the gentle handcuffs of God's goodness slipping around the wrists of your heart? You see, a decision is called for. A response is demanded. A choice needs to be made. There is no neutrality. And so the second reality this morning is choose the Lord your God dependent upon His grace. You see, there's no other way to say it. There's there's no other way to soften the blow. Believing in grace, resting in grace, rejoicing in grace doesn't mean that we never use words like obligation, like choose, like commit, like demand. But to the contrary, God's grace reminds us, grace reminds us to make who we are called to be who we are. After 11 chapters in the book of Romans, Paul gets to chapter 12, 11 chapters, he's extolled the glory of the gospel. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, therefore, in view of God's mercies, 
present yourselves to him. And so in this speech, in this sermon, Joshua does the very same thing. He invites, he calls, he demands that people make a choice. That they serve the Lord. And there's this amazing interchange. The people respond in verse 16. Far be it from us. We will serve the Lord. And Joshua immediately retorts in verse 19, you are not able to serve the Lord. For He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. It's almost as if Joshua is rebuking the people of Israel for their response. Even though it was the right response, it was a good response. Quite possibly it was made too quickly. You haven't thought this through. You haven't felt the weight. This is a holy God. This is a jealous God. Be careful. And so when he makes this point, Joshua does, and the Lord does through Joshua, the point is this. Past grace is clear. We see it vividly. It was all Yahweh. Future grace is certain. There's no doubt. Our God will be faithful to do what He says He will do. But Joshua zooms it in on the present day and says present grace is absolutely necessary. The obligations of the gospel are never outside of the gospel. As you came to Him, so do you remain in Him by grace and by grace alone. And so as Israel has to throw away their gods, they don't do so with pride at their accomplishment. They do so with humility, with the need of grace. And as you sit here this morning and you consider your gods, you consider what counterfeit gods you look to, your pleasure, your reputation, your possessions, your comfort, your security, your family, whatever it is that you need to turn your back to that you might serve the living God, you do so by His grace. And you say with David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Lead me in the way everlasting. As we wake up every day, moment by moment, hour by hour, we do so by His grace, making choices to serve the Lord. It's the point. It's the point of Joshua 24. Returning to those words that I spoke of at the very beginning through these three sermons, these three speeches, I'll just close with this. Fear the Lord your God. Cling to the sufficiency of Jesus. Walk by the Spirit, not according to your flesh, not according to the world, and serve Him with all the grace that He gives. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we read a passage like this. We think about our own lives and hearts. And I hope we come, I know I come to that place of 
of need, of desperate grace. That place of even lack of of gratitude, forgetting so much of, of what you have done and of who you are. May this day, may this place, may this hour, by the power of your Spirit, through the clarity of your Word, renew our hearts and minds in the Gospel. Holy Spirit, you know each of these here better than they know themselves. And so I pray that you would take your Word that it would find deep roots in their heart. And that it would do its work as we reflect and meditate and consider this call for our lives. Oh Father, we do so with great humility, with great thanksgiving because of Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.